Well, indeed, good morning, good morning. Welcome to The Awakening. My name's Carrie, and if you are new, I want to say, man, thanks for checking us out and hanging with us. And uh, we are uh, in a journey this summer uh, called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and it's sort of this initiative of doing one series, one service, and one social. And so uh, y'all showed up on time again for the second one service that we have at the 10 o'clock hour. I liked it. I've heard a lot of positive responses concerning it's good just to be together and people I haven't maybe had a chance to worship with for a while. They're around and the only stipulation is on this one service is you've got to be able to, to just sit a little closer to one another and love on one another that way so we can get everybody in, right? So uh, thanks for being a part of the one service deal, uh, the one series. We're going to be stepping back into that and then coming back to some more worship later this hour. But I just want to give encouragement about the one social. Many of you signed up for it. Most of you should have received contact this week. If you'd still like to be a part of the dinner social, uh, as Regine mentioned, just take the back of that connection card and put social on it. We'll follow up with you. Someone will contact you. You will not know who's coming to dinner. Well, hopefully, uh, one of the hosts this week sent out a group text for all their people, and that just does not work. So um, <laughs> that's fine. So uh, we're going to sort of hap- hope to have a surprise for you to show up at somebody's house, just have a casual dinner meal, get to know a few folks. But if you're not signed up for that, and uh, if for some reason you did and you don't get contacted this week, then you need to be in touch with us at the office. That's the one social deal. Um, now, we said that the guest who's coming to dinner, every dinner starts off with, Supposed to, with prayer. And so I would like us just to spend some moments in pastoral prayer time and some of the needs that I know that are represented in this body and some of the needs that you carry, the burdens that you carry for the needs of other people. So I'm going to have you pause in your minds right now. Ask God, the Holy Spirit, who's here with us, the name of a person that needs intercession. It might be a friend. It might be a family member. It might be someone you know who they are by face, but you don't even know their name. Maybe someone at work and you've been concerned about them. The Holy Spirit can lay on us the burdens of other people and we get to pray for those people before a Father in Heaven who can actually do something in their life. Right? And so as we spend our time around the dinner table uh, before we see who our guest is, Uh, Let's have prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that in your name, uh, we are a family. For those of us who have chosen to follow you, and Lord, for those who are maybe here this morning that uh, have never experienced what a relationship with you is, we know that you desire to bring us together um, as followers of you to be brothers and sisters in the faith, your body. And so we, as the body of the awakening, a local body representing part of your grand church body around the world, come before you and ask in your name that your spirit would work in our lives and in the lives of others, working in our lives maybe even this very hour to teach us something, to remind us of something, maybe to exhort us about something we've been sort of hardened about. We ask that your spirit would work in our lives. Lord, we want to be a tender people. People that are sensitive to you. Not running in all different kinds of directions. So we just humble ourselves and sit before you. And Lord, we ask that you would work in our lives for your glory and your praise this morning. Lord, many needs represented right here in this very body of the awakening. And Lord, whichever need that you need to sensitize us to, may you do that through our love and encouragement of one another. And so, Lord, we pray for Your Spirit to work in our lives individually and our lives as a local church body. But, Lord, we also pray here this morning for someone who stands in the need of prayer. And so, Lord, as You bring that person to mind, lay them on our heart, maybe someone we've been praying for for a long time, maybe somebody we just met this week, We pray, God, that through Your Spirit that You would intervene and meet them at their place of need. Lord, whether that is a a physical touch, whether that's just a personal encouragement, maybe it's a vocational need in their life, Lord, maybe it's a family crisis that's going on. 
Lord, may you draw near to them and through your Holy Spirit, we just come against the adversary and remind him that he has no rights whatsoever to mess with anybody. He is a defeated foe because of the work, Jesus, that you did on the cross and defeating him and through the power of your resurrection. And we just pray for that individual that you would intervene in their life. Lord, may you draw them to you. For a lot of times, people, their felt need is not their true need. And so may they move past maybe some of the heaviness of their felt need in their life, whatever maybe has been going on, and may you draw them to yourself so that they may know their true need is to be found in right standing with you in a right relationship with you. And so, Lord, we pray for others. And may we be a church body that does that not only on a Sunday morning or sort of hip hop and skip here and there, but we do it consistently, Lord, that we intercede and we pray for others. For, Lord, we do not pray for the work, but prayer is the work. And we know that prayer moves your hand. You've just chosen for it to be that way. And Lord, even to later today, as we look at the subject of prayer some, we just pray that you would mobilize us as a people to intercede well, one for another. Our own families, our church family, the needs of others around us in our workplace, and our recreational worlds during the course of a week, and in our neighborhoods. Lord, may your will be done. And may you be glorified through changed lives. And God's people said, Amen. Well, we step into week number two. Last week we looked at Moses. I have a lot of people keep asking me, well, who's coming to dinner this week? And I want you to know, you're just not going to get it out of me until you come. You've got to come. And part of the reason is, I don't know who's coming next week yet. I have chosen in this to take it one week by one week and just ask the Lord who He might burden upon my heart, someone who has words of instruction for us as a body. So last week we looked at Moses, and we're going to look at someone else this week. But I tell you what, I realized last week that this is a bit of a challenge. But guess who's coming to dinner? Because I want to have an Old Testament character come to dinner, sit around, interact with them, ask questions, learn from their life. But I realize that different ones of us are from different backgrounds. Some of us have been seasoned Christians and know the Bible thoroughly. Others of us are brand new to just trying to discover God. Maybe you're here the first time in church a long time. I don't know. And so there's a lot of backstory that needs to be understood when we pull out a particular character and sit down with them around the family table. But time does not afford here for us to do an Old Testament survey class. All right. So you need to go maybe study on your own a little bit about it. But I want to throw up this diagram, which sort of puts some of the Old Testament in context as it relates, at least to the biblical characters. This Old Testament historical overview just sort of has the different sections. And these different sections reflect uh, the um, type of character that we may find ourselves um, interacting with around the dinner table. You have in the beginning, you have the patriarchs, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all right? And that's when God called Abraham out initially to establish the nation, the Hebrew people as a nation, all right? But then there was the... uh, exile uh, in, in one sense because of famine and stuff down into Egypt. And that's why we looked at Moses last week because Moses liberated uh, the Israelites from the bondage of the Egyptians after they uh, were in slavery in Egypt for, for many, many, many years. So we had Moses. Moses comes up to the promised land, isn't able to go in, but then Joshua takes over. Joshua uh, takes them into the promised land and they begin uh, getting settled in there. And there's sort of uh, some general time frames here uh, as to when those seasons occur. And then you walk into the period of the judges. And so they're established in Israel, the period of the judges. You have people like Deborah and Gideon and Samson and Samuel. And uh, then from there, the people of Israel wanted kings. They wanted a king. And so God finally relented. He says, all right, I'll let you have a king like all the other nations have kings, but that's not necessarily my desire. And you have the united kingdom of Israel, and you have the initial kings of Saul, David, and Solomon. But then it's split. All right? Israel split. You had the northern part was called Israel, and the southern part was called Judah. And each of them had their own kings for a period of time. And the northern part of Israel, they fell in... um, to the Assyrians, and then the southern kingdom ended up falling eventually to the Babylonians. All right? Then what happens? Well, there's this period 
of time where they aren't in their nation. And then they start to come back. The second uh, temple period, Ezra and Nehemiah, 400 B.C. And then you have the 400 years of silence. And then you have Jesus Christ uh, appearing on the scene. All right? So some of that's a little bit of a general context. Those are some of the names. We may pull out some of those names. It's God's leading. There's other obscure names. But you have the patriarchs. You have the judges. You have the kings. And then you also have the prophets who operated during the time of the kings. Okay? So that's some big picture um, of what's going on, the Torah and the writings and the prophets. So here we are around the kitchen table, just normally enjoying our life one with another, right? And I throw up a picture because I like us just to think in terms of contemporary context. Who is coming? Daniel is coming to dinner today. How about Daniel? Anybody want a Daniel? I don't know. All right, Daniel. <laughs> well, Daniel, uh, he... Uh, and you might ask, where do you get the pictures of these characters at? You know, he looks like another rough and rugged dude. I, I, I'm, that one, I think, comes off of uh, uh, the History Channel or the Discovery Channel with the, the Bible. The, the History Channel was the, the Bible. And so uh, we don't know what they look like, right? But uh, you can imagine someone from that era coming and sitting around the context of our contemporary social dinners. Maybe they would have cleaned up a little bit more than that. I don't know. But with Daniel, what I like is we looked at Moses last week and Moses brought them out of Egypt. Then you got this whole period of time, but then they mess up, right? They don't worship and serve God. And so they're exiled into Babylon. All right? It's a done deal. They were brought in and then they're gone. Daniel represents what happens at the Babylonian captivity. And he was God's man then. When they were exiled, as surely as Moses was God's man from the Exodus when they were brought into the promised land. Now, I have this picture of the Middle East. The reason I want to put this up there is because when you read the scriptures, a lot of times, and maybe you're one of these people going, oh man, the Old Testament, the Hebrew, that's sort of, that's old stuff, right? And what can I get out of that? Well, I want you to know that the news that you have on your television screens, day in and day out, is reflective of issues that still go back to scriptures. In fact, these issues that are in our contemporary news are issues that will last until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, because our scriptures talk about it. And so in the Middle East, when you look at places like Syria and Iraq and Jordan and Israel and Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Iran, all right? Those areas are very commonplace to the scriptures, and they were very commonplace to Daniel. God is in control of what's happening in our world, and I want you to know that. You cannot read these scriptures without realizing that God is sovereign, even in the midst of a lot of evil that happens. We've been, you know, listening, what, in the last few weeks, this group called ISIS, right? The Islamic State for Iraq and Syria. And their interest, it is said, is that they want to have an Islamic State. Where's their Islamic State going to be? Right there in all that area and their thinking. And so they've taken back over Mosul, which is the second largest city in uh, Iraq. All right? And there's concern about where they're heading to and what's going on and the roots that they have back in Syria and other kinds of things. There's concern. This week we had uh, more um, Palestinian-Israeli conflict with rockets being fired. And Israel right now is heading into trying to stop some of those places where rockets are being fired from the Gaza Strip. I love it when I were able to realize that you go to Scripture... Not to just study ancient history and some ancient people that loved God and tried to serve God. But you see how it's connected into our contemporary world. And in part, you're going to see that. Now, if we had our choice, and I see Mike back there nodding. He'd prefer us probably to take several months in the book of Daniel. And we probably could. He comes out of a lot of knowledge of that. And he, uh, he knows that uh, the prophecies in Daniel apply to today. We're not going to get a chance to look at the prophecies of Daniel today, but I want to look at the character of Daniel and the kind of person that he is. Because I think if he sat around our table and he spoke to us, he would begin with the interior life. And the interior life is so critical if we want to impact our external world. 
And because of Daniel's interior life, he was able to have a dramatic impact on his exterior world. I would like to begin not in the book of Daniel, but in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah 25, I'm going to read to you a passage that helps us understand how God is so much in control. So follow along with me. If you have your scriptures or your U version on a phone, I guess that's fine. Just, just don't do anything else on your phone. And um, listen to the prophetic word of Jeremiah. And Daniel ends up stepping into that prophetic word of Jeremiah and living his life in that Middle East area. This message for all the people of Judah came to Jeremiah from the Lord during the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign over Judah. This was the year when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon began his reign. Jeremiah the prophet, by the way, I'm reading from the NLT version. It sort of reads a little bit more fluid. Jeremiah the prophet said to the people in Judah and Jerusalem, For the past 23 years, the Lord has given me, until now, the Lord has given me his messages. I have faithfully passed them on to you, but you have not listened. Anybody here in the camp of that? The Lord's faithfully given you some messages, but you say, yeah, there was a season. I just did not listen. Maybe it's true today. Again and again, the Lord has sent you his prophets, but you have not listened or even tried to hear. Each time the message was this. Turn from the evil road you are traveling from, from the evil things you are doing. Only then will I let you live in the land that the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever. Do not make me angry by worshiping the idols you have made. Then I will not harm you. What? They stopped worshiping God, Yahweh, the one who brought him across the Red Sea, the one who gave him Ten Commandments, the one who established him in the Promised Land. And they began worshiping other kinds of idols. Now, we don't have statues and little idols that we worship today, but we do worship a lot of other kinds of things. And it's telling by just looking at our schedules sometimes. But... You would not listen to me, says the Lord. You made me furious by worshiping your idols, bringing on yourselves all the disasters you now suffer. And now the Lord Almighty says, because you have not listened to me, I will gather. I will gather. This is God saying this. I will gather together all the armies of the north under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, whom I have appointed as my deputy. I will bring them all against this land and its people and against the other nations near you. I will completely destroy you and make you an object of horror and contempt and a ruin forever. I will take away your happy singing and laughter. The joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will no longer be heard. Your businesses will fail and all your homes will stand silent and dark. The entire land will become a desolate wasteland. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Whoa. That's a heavy word. And Jeremiah gives it. He says, this is what God says. You're done. Believe God has a breaking point? Sure he does. He says, you're done. He still loves you. But just like a parent has to kindly tough love their kids sometimes, God looks upon his created beings and said, tough love time. You're done. I'm taking you out of this land that Moses and Joshua brought you into. You're done. Then after the 70 years of captivity are over, I will punish the king of Babylon and his people for their sins, says the Lord. I will make the country of the Babylonians an everlasting wasteland. I will bring upon them all the terrors I have promised in this book and all the penalties announced by Jeremiah against the nations. Many nations and great kings will enslave the Babylonians just as they enslaved my people. I will punish them in proportion to the suffering they may cause my people. Friends, that prophecy out of Jeremiah was pretty clear. Israel, Judah, you're done. You're going to be exiled further east into what is modern-day Iraq. Babylon is where? It's south of Baghdad. All right? You're going to be exiled further east. You're done. You're going to be in captivity there 70 years. This all happened before the event. Guess what happens in Scripture and historically? Just like God said. God's in control. And then what happened to the Babylonians? Well, after them was the, the Persians and the Medes. And after that, there was another end. The Greeks came and then the Romans. I mean, 
God's in control of what's happening with the rise and the fall of empires and kingdoms because there is one true kingdom that he's concerned about, and it's his kingdom. And you only enter his kingdom by choosing to follow him as the king of your life. He wants to reign in your life. So all the events in life, I believe, are orchestrated at some level. Not that God causes them. He can allow them. There's evil that happens. There's evil men. There's evil leaders that arise. And armies take upon armies. One nation rises. One nation falls. But overall, you can just stamp the word sovereignty of God. And if you want to define sovereignty, I'd define sovereignty this way. God's in control of all things and all ways at all times. And here he is. Telling Jeremiah, this is what's going to happen. Well, guess what? The person who comes to dinner today, he gets to be a part of that whole beautiful period of the 70 years in captivity. What if God picked you? He said, I'm going to pick you, not, not fun stuff, but for the challenging stuff. You're going to be my guy. You're going to be my lady. You're going to be my student or my child. And I am going to place you in an environment that's tough. The Babylonian environment was a tough, tough environment. And so if you'll go with me now, I want to have us look at Daniel and his life and what he might say to us in a dinner conversation. And to do that, we have to go to the book of Daniel which is past the Jeremiah, there's the Ezekiel, and then you come up on Daniel. So Daniel. Now I want you to know what the name Daniel means. Daniel, if you break it apart into three things, uh, the first part is uh, a, a Dan word, and the Dan word means judge. The, the E and the uh, little e in the middle are, means my, and then the L at the end means my is God. And so Daniel's name means... God, my judge, or my judge is God. And one of the things you find with the life of Daniel, and you can put that up there, um, is that Daniel, he deferred to God being his judge at every turn. Though he was placed in a tough environment, a tough situation, he was given a really crappy job environment, all right? He knew that in the middle of that environment, his boss wasn't his ultimate boss. His boss was God, and God was his judge. And so he marched to the beat of God Almighty, not to the beat of all the kings that he ended up serving under and having to deal with in Babylon. All right? So Daniel means God is my judge. And you see that he has this disposition that just sort of settles him in in great worship to God in all aspects of his life. Let's go to Daniel 1. God said, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, they were going to take over. Here we are in Daniel history. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it with his armies. We'll all be. I never knew that was going to happen, right? Surprise! Not. Not to the prophets. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. When Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon, he took with him some of the sacred objects of the temple and placed them in the treasure house of his God in the land, land of Babylonia. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, who was in charge of the palace officials, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good sense, and have the poise needed to serve in the royal palace. Teach these young men the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them as a daily ration of best food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for a period of three years, and then some of them would be made his advisors in the royal court. We've got the issue of immigration going on, right? Well, think in terms of these forced immigrants. They were taken into captivity. King sets back and says, all right, I want to see the good pickings. Who are the strong ones? Who are the good looking ones? Who are the ones that do really good on their ACT and SAT scores? You know, oh, they're pretty sharp. They seem to have some. I'm going to take them and I'm going to groom them and I'm going to. Let them be a part of some of the, the ruling dynamics. All right? 
He picked the Fantastic Four. The first Fantastic Four. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, uh, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief official renamed them with these Babylonian names. Now, you recognize the name Daniel, but you didn't recognize those other three names. But you will once you see the names, the Babylonian names that were given to him. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, have you heard those names? If not, we're going to send you next door to the children's ministry, get you here at VBS, all right? We all know the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. Most likely we've been around churches, and uh, that's when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, and they did not get burned, all right? But Daniel and these three were part of the Fantastic Four, where God used them in powerful ways in a captive environment where they weren't free to do as they would so wish, and where there was a king that was really into himself a lot. Do you have leaders around you in your life that are into themselves a lot and it really bothers you? Well, you'll find a friend in Daniel. You can talk to him around the table. All right? What do you do with somebody who just annoys you because they're arrogant? Nebuchadnezzar was one of those kinds of people. But Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to him by the king. He asked the chief official for permission to eat other things instead. Now, God had given the chief official great respect for Daniel, but he was alarmed by Daniel's suggestion. My lord, the king has ordered that you eat this food and wine, he said. If you become pale and thin compared to the other use your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded for neglecting my details my duties. Daniel talked it over with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief official to look after Daniel uh, uh, Daniel, um, and the other three. Test us for ten days on a diet of vegetables and water, he said. At the end of the ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's rich food. Then you can decide whether or not to let us continue eating our diet. So the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion. He tested him for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends, they looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the rich foods and wines. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for learning the literature and the science of the time. And God gave Daniel special ability in understanding the meanings of visions and dreams. When the three-year training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief official brought all the men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with each of them, and none of them impressed them as much as these four. So they were appointed to his regular staff of advisors. In all matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, the king found the advice of these young men to be ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus's reign, which was several years later. When you're placed into a tough environment, Daniel would say to you, you need to be prepared going in. And I think this is the first thing Daniel would articulate to us around the dinner table today. He'd say this, be resolute in your decision to follow God and honor Him in the midst of all challenging circumstances. Now, I like how the NIV puts Daniel 1.8. And if you understand Daniel 1.8, then you're going to understand the rest of the whole book of Daniel. It says this, But Daniel resolved not to, be defi- not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief, chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, it's a little concerning as to why did he pick this as the line to draw. He had been placed in the Babylonian captivity. He went ahead and took on the Babylonian name that they gave him. He also ended up being involved in the Babylonian educational systems. All right? 
other kinds of things. Why, why would you draw the line about not eating from the king's table? What's the deal with that? Yeah, we're not told specifically why that was a line drawn in the sand that Daniel said, you know, I've got to serve my God. I'm not going to cross this line and do it. But most likely the food, in, in some reflections, it wasn't kosher, and that was part of the Hebrews' diet. All right. Secondly, it was probably food that was maybe offered to other idols and gods, and that would have been sacrilegious or blasphemous in Daniel's mind. And maybe the third thing is when you sit down around a table, what do you end up doing in the appearance of others? You are associating with those people and you are calling them kindred friends, maybe. All right? So whatever the reason may be for Daniel to partake of the king's table and his beefsteaks was not permissible. But he had resolved in his mind. He had decided beforehand as a young man that he would not do that. It wasn't an either-or kind of thing. God had called him to be in the midst of this challenging environment and workplace. But there were certain things he was being asked to do where he said, I, can no longer, I cannot do that because God is my judge. That's my name. And I serve what God's interests are, and I cannot come and serve your interests in front of that. So a line was drawn in the sand. Have you ever been at that place where you had to draw a line in the sand concerning some of your decision-making, some of the ethical things maybe that are, are being pushed upon you? You say, I can't. I, I have to serve my God. Well, Daniel was right smack centered on this decision, what he was going to do. Now, it's said that when they were brought into captivity, that they were probably very young men, possibly even teenagers, just even 14 or 15 maybe. Somewhere he had gotten an education and there had been a devotion in his life to the Hebrew God that he carried through into the Babylonian captivity and he was not defiled with it and he wasn't going to defile it by any decisions that he made. And so Daniel resolved, he had made up his mind, another translation says. He had determined that he would not defile himself. Have you made that decision in your life? Or is your God a God of convenience when it's helpful, but you can discard Him when it's not helpful and you want to pursue some self-centered ends. He made a decision that he would not defile himself. And he didn't. So he came up with this game plan where he would only you know, eat certain things and not the table and see. And after those ten days, he and the other three, they were looking healthier than those who were feasting. And they, they were given okay permission. Carry on then. The guy just didn't want to get in trouble by not carrying out a command to, to have the four uh, not eat at the table. You're probably familiar with the story of Eric Little. Eric Little was uh, a missionary in China, actually. Um, very devout Christian man of God from Scotland. And um, Eric Little is probably most famous for a race that he never ran. Eric Little was a sprinter. And in the 1924 Olympics in Paris, France, he was expected to win the 100-meter dash. He was fast. Now, he had wrestled with this whole thing of does, does he run the race? Does he train and use his athletic ability? Or does he you know, stay with the mission passion he has for China? And if you ever watched the movie Chariots of Fire, I love one of the best phrases in there is when he turns, I believe, to his sister or some relative and she was telling him, you've got to stop this running thing. It's foolishness in one sense. You've got to be devoted to God. And he just looked at her and says, God has, I am going to be devoted to China, but God has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel this pleasure. And so he went to the 94, I mean, to the 24 Olympics to run, but the heat for qualifying for the race was to be run on a Sunday. And Eric Little observed the Sabbath. This was in conflict with his commitment to God in his mind. He made the choice against the shock of all the press and the racing world not to run in the heat which disqualified him for the race. He chose God. To honor God above the expectations of others, the opposition, the great opposition he's with, and his own namesake and his own benefit. So he didn't run. 
But a few days later, he had the opportunity to run the 400 meter. The 400 meter was not the best event for him. But he stepped into the 400 meter against other world breaking, record breaking runners. He wasn't expected to do much, as I mentioned. And he not only ended up winning the 400 meter, but he broke the world record, ran two seconds faster than he'd ever run the race before. The world record at that time he broke was 47.6, and it stood for a long time. Those are defining moments. You may be able to point to one in your own life. You may have one. You may have one tomorrow. Good luck. The reason I say good luck is this. If you have not made a decision early in your life or in your present life that you will not defile yourself, then you're not going to have much hope there. But if you've made the decision, you've gone into training in one sense that I will not choose something other than what God's will is for my life, then you will be a toppling domino just like everybody else has. But Daniel was not one of those. So if Daniel's seated at my, my dinner table, I'm pretty proud to have him there. And I'm like, give me, give me some of your juice, man. Give me some of your vibe. Give me some of your, your, your wisdom here. And he would just simply say, you have to make a choice. And sometimes I believe us in our Christian lives and in our church today, we really waffle on an awful lot when it comes to our spiritual life. Our spiritual life is just one more aspect of what we do. But there's decisions flying all around us, but it comes back to that interior life. And the interior life is, choose you this day as to who you will serve. Do you serve the great God Almighty? Or do you serve your own interests? Or do you serve the expectations of others? Or do you succumb to the opposition of those around you? Daniel stood firm in that moment. And he would say this, be resolute in your decision to follow God and honor Him in the midst of all challenging circumstances. The second thing he would say is this, be disciplined in your pursuit of knowing God and seeking divine wisdom to influence your culture. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude, it says in Daniel 1.17, for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. And this was seen in his prophecies that carried through and saved the day in many ways. Edward Young states this. He says, The knowledge and the intelligence which God gave to them was of a discerning kind that they might know and possess the ability to accept what was true and to reject what was false in their instruction. Now, the reason I frame up maybe Daniel's words to us around the dinner table uh, to be disciplined in our pursuit of knowing God and seeking divine wisdom to influence your culture is this. I believe God has called us to influence our culture. And we cannot live in our culture as contaminated, double-minded beings. But we also need to know that in our culture, we need to gain the wisdom, not only from God, but an understanding of our culture and the wisdom to be able to speak into their life. Sometimes Christians have a bunker mentality. Oh my goodness, I'm going to go hide. They didn't hide. They rocked right into the Babylonian universities and learned and were taught, just like Moses was with the Egyptians, to learn the ways of that world. But they had the ability to learn and discern and to seek God as to what is right and what is wrong. What is of general truth knowledge here and what is of error? And so they became highly esteemed as learned wise people in the culture of that day. So do not hesitate. All right? I'm not saying any statement about Christian education versus state education. You know, it, God leads us. He so leads each of us. But if you're in a state school kind of environment, guess what? It may be Babylon, but God has you there for a purpose. To stand true and to learn and to be able to speak into those situations. The um, writer by the name of Walter Anderson, he has a book called uh, Reality is Not What It Used to Be. And he reflects upon the contemporary culture in which we live. All right? What we've been taking captivity into, right? We didn't choose to pick and live during this time. And it's said that we live in a postmodern day. 
In a postmodern day, comes on the hills of modernity, a modern world, and before that, it was the pre-modern time. And he has this little analogy uh, as it relates to baseball as to the times that we live in. And he said, uh, for an umpire, as it relates to the pre-modern times, he says, there's strikes and there's balls, and I call them as they are. Modernity comes along, and the umpire says, there's strikes and there's balls, and I call them as I see them. Postmodernity comes along, of which we are, and the umpire says, they ain't nothing until I call them. Now, if you catch the flavor of that, but we live in a really wishy-washy world of relativism. Is it a strike or is it a ball? There is a batter's box. There is a strike box. Is it in there or is there not? Clear definition. There used to be the pursuit of truth, knowing that, that there was ultimate absolute truth. Then you sort of got into the modern, well, sort of, I see it this way, you see it that way. And now it's like, hey, it is what I make it. Woo, it's over there. That's a strike. <laughs> You're out. Wait a second. You live in an environment that's a postmodern environment, a lot of relativity. You do not escape it, do the bunker hole thing, but you encounter your world with the truth and the wisdom of God to be able to challenge it and take it on. And Daniel and the other three, they were seen as highly esteemed because not just that they had nerve, but they had a sense of bearing. There's black and there's white as it relates to biblical truth. Now, are there gray areas? Are there nuances? Sure there are. But there are some things that are uncompromising and we should never compromise the absolute truth of Scripture in our walk with God and before others, whether it's in our schools, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our social environments. Dare to be a Daniel, as some authors say. Dare to be a Daniel. Be resolute and then discipline your life in a manner such that you can know what is truth is what not truth and how to speak wisdom and knowledge into the world in which we live. And you will influence. You will influence those around you. Guess what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? I want to just share a few passages with this. Daniel 2, 46. This was after the interpretation of a dream that Daniel had done to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king said in verse 47, Truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries. You have been able to reveal this secret. And then the king appointed Daniel to the high position, gave him valuable gifts, gave him a blessing. And at Daniel's request, the king also appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the providence of Babylon, where Daniel remained in the king's court. Daniel started out as a sage. He became the chief sage. Then he became... Uh, director of the Providence over there. He ended up moving his way all up into uh, one of three presidents overseeing all the other governors that were in the land. He was seen as one who was wise and learned and one who had conviction. There's another place right after this, the story we won't go into. You're familiar with it. When Nebuchadnezzar came up to the furnace in uh, Daniel 3:26 that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been thrown into, the people that threw them into the fire, and they were thrown into the fire because you know, uh, there was this decree that went out. Nebuchadnezzar, here's the big guy, right? He built a statue 90 feet tall of himself, and uh, there was some decree that you had to wash, worship that statue. They said no. They were thrown into this fiery furnace, and uh, blazing hot, seven times hotter never been, and they walked out. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. One more on Daniel 4. Daniel 4.1 says this, 
King Nebuchadnezzar then sent a message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders of the Most High God who has performed for, that He has performed for me. How great are His signs, how powerful His wonders. His kingdom will last forever. His rule through all generations. They impacted the king of Babylon. In fact, I came across a message this week by one man. He, uh, he titled this, Will Nebuchadnezzar Be in Heaven? And he walked through these places where Nebuchadnezzar gradually migrated there. And he says, in one sense, and I'd agree with him, he may very well be. But whether or not he's there, we can be resolute in this. Why he's there is because of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Will your boss be in heaven because of you? Will your spouse be in heaven because of you? Will your kids be resolute in your heart to follow God above all things and then be disciplined in your life of knowing God and seeking His divine wisdom to influence those around you? I want to share one more with you. A statement I think Daniel would share with us around the table. It comes out of Daniel chapter 6. I don't have a lot of time to dig into this, but you need to know that Daniel was seen as a man of great prayer. And I think he would say to us also, be steadfast in your prayer life with an expectant spirit, knowing God is in control of all things in all ways at all times. Sovereignty. Daniel 6.10, but when Daniel had learned that the law had been signed, and what law had been signed, there was... A bunch of people after him again that caught him and got frustrated. So they tried to catch him. And uh, this law was signed. This law was signed that he need to uh, stop praying, stop worshiping his God. All right? He went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room and its window opened toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Now, the part I want you to underline there is just as he'd always done. This wasn't a, oh my goodness, I'm going to be in trouble. And he got thrown into the lion's den because of this. I'm going to be in trouble if... No, this is what he always does. He's always in prayer with God. He was steadfast in his prayer, seeking God's wisdom, knowing God's in control of all things and all ways at all times. And if he gets thrown into the lion's den, so be it. God's in control. And when he walked out of the lion's den and he wasn't chewed up, and again, the king at that time was like, oh my goodness, who is this person? It was like, well, God's in control. God is what? God is my judge. He lived, I think Daniel lived a life, I'm sure there was stress and other things. Going. I think he just lived this life of a great inner-centered peace about who he was and who his God was. And when we could find ourselves in that place of centered peace about who our God is and what he's doing in our life or in our world, I think it's a very freeing thing. But it comes from communion with God. And Daniel had deep, deep communion with God. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God in Daniel 10. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in the heavens. I have come in answer to your prayer. For the 21 days, for 21 days, the spirit of the prince of kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the king of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. This passage, which is several years further down the road in Daniel 10, is one of my favorite Old Testament passages. God answers Daniel's prayer because he saw that he was highly esteemed, precious in his sight. And the moment Daniel began to pray, God began to answer it. And then one of the, in one sense, a strange passage to us that live in a naturalistic world. In the spiritual realm, the prayer was held up for 21 days but it had already been initiated, the answer to that prayer. 
He was a deep man, a devoted prayer. We too need to be steadfast in our prayer life, knowing that God is working His good for His will, for His purposes, for His glory in all the world and in our life. And even when you don't get the answers to the prayers, keep praying. Because in the spiritual realm, they may have already been answered. We just don't know what's coming. So I summarize the three things today. What would Daniel share to dinner conversation? Be resolute in your decision to follow God and honor Him in the midst of all challenging circumstances. Be disciplined in your pursuit of knowing God and seeking divine wisdom to influence your culture. And be steadfast in your prayer life with an expectant spirit, knowing God is in control of all things in all ways at all times. Now, it would be beautiful to walk into all the prophecies of Daniel. But as I mentioned, that's secondary to why Daniel's given to us. I believe Daniel's given to us as a strong character and representation of who we need to be with an interior life that impacts our external world. Chris, you and the team can come up. I'd like to just lead us in a prayer, a prayer for you. We're going to head into a little bit of worship here. And we're going to spend our time stepping into worship by focusing on the one who truly does fulfill all of prophecy and the one who holds every aspect of the future because he's the one who created the world and created you and I from the past, and that is Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah referred to him as the man of sorrows. And it's because Jesus Christ came, died, rose from the grave that you and I can sit here this morning with a resolute faith with a disciplined life and with a steadfast prayer world. Jesus Christ is the one that we worship even though we live in 2014 in an American westernized culture that some weeks you just wonder where we're headed. Lord, may you take our lives and may we follow hard after you. Lord, for those this morning who have never crossed that line of faith to choose to follow You, Jesus, I pray even in these moments that You would speak to them and You would love them and they may even lay their life down and choose to follow You as we sing. The man of sorrows who gave us life for us. Lord Jesus, for those of us who have journeyed with You, some of us this day are amidst of challenging environments, things going on in our personal lives, our work world, our business worlds, our school life, our families. May Jesus, you come and remind us that you are with us. Now you and God the Father are in control of all things and all ways at all times. May we live lives that are devoted to you no matter what the challenge holds. And may you use our life to influence those around us. We renew. We up the ante and make that commitment fresh and anew this morning as we worship you. God's people said...